Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross so that you can be set for life. While you're going to Luke 15, I've got two sto- little quick stories I want to tell you because they may play in. Uh, one time I went to go to lunch at work and I went to eat lunch at a park. And I was sitting at a picnic table and I finished my lunch and I grabbed my trash and I was going to throw it away in the trash can that was next to me. And I noticed there was a cobweb that covered the entire top of the trash can. And I thought, if I throw this trash through there and break that web, there goes that spider's entire living. <laughs> His whole income is shot. But you know what? How many people would do that and not care? So what? And probably not even see it. It's so hard to see. I just happened to look, right? Well, um, there's a little parallel in this that I want to get into about sinking too much of your of your your thought process and all your actions in your your income and your living and your stuff and what you get. Because if the world goes and takes it away from it, and it will, it's not going to care. It's literally will not care. So who does care? Well, we're going to get into that. Uh, we're going to get into it that, uh, that the Lord has come to seek and save that which is lost. And so speaking of things being lost, <laughs> it goes into my second little story. I have a, a handheld radio. Uh, I'm a ham operator, as you all know, and I got a little handheld. It's about, about like this big, hooks on my belt. And I lost it the other day. Well, I've got a whole ham radio room full of gear. It, it, my dad sat at it one time. He said, I feel like I'm at the helm of a submarine. I mean, you've got just stuff and buttons. Y'all, y'all probably seen it. And lots of gear, and lots of money and, and gear that I've accumulated over the past 25 years. And, but I lost that one little handheld. Well, gosh, Ray, you got all this other stuff, but I lost something. And it became the priority. Where's the lost item? I wanted to find what was lost. And so I looked through my whole house. I tore it inside out trying to find this little handheld radio until my parents told me it was at their house. I'm like, oh, and I got all excited. Like, yes, found it. Went over to their house and picked it up that day. So I got my handheld back. Meanwhile, all these big giant radios are sitting on the desk, but I found my handheld. Okay. You ever done something like that? You know, it was some little thing, but it meant something to you. It was valuable, but the fact that it was lost, all of a sudden, now that it's lost, your mind is on it, and you're going to find it. I want you all to kind of hold that perspective as we go into this, because in Luke 15, we're going to talk about the prodigal son, but you can't fully get the full meaning of the prodigal son unless you first start at 15 verse 1, other things that Jesus is talking about, because Jesus had a lot of critics. A lot of people trying to judge him and criticize him to the ground, and you have to understand what they were doing first before you get to the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a story that stands well on its own, but it does a whole lot more when you get the context of what was happening, why Jesus said the prodigal son's story, because of what the Pharisees were doing to him. And so we start here now Luke 15 and 1 about the parable of the lost sheep. So here's our setting. Here's what's going on that prompted these stories, okay? Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. 
And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. (laughs) Isn't that so good? You ever repented? You know the party you kicked off in heaven when you did that? (laughs) Okay, he says it right here. So the religious leaders are disgusted that our that this Jesus would associate with filthy sinners. Uh, obviously, you could tell they didn't think they were sinners themselves, right? They thought they were perfect. And so Jesus replied to them with a parable, and it, because it's something they, they could have uh, understood with a deeper spiritual lesson on this. He hits them with a parable through things that they already understood. And he also gives them the parable of the lost coin. Fit, uh, Luke 15, verse Eight. He says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls to her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Guys, does the word repent sound like such a bad word anymore? Because often people don't like it. It starts to sound like a good word here because that's, that's, look at all the joy it brings up. But I'll tell you, when I found my radio, my handheld radio, I got on the air with it and called out to my friends and I told all my friends I found it. (laughs) Hey guys, I'm back. (laughs) And it was exciting to me because I'm a crazy ham radio operator, but also because I could talk to my friends again with that portable radio. I, I, I wasn't going to miss anything now because I had my radio back. Th- this woman swept the house. She turned everything upside down looking for this one coin. Well, gosh, you got nine other ones, but I want to find the lost one. See, the lost one. And this parable of the lost coin gives us a perspective of how God views one sinner who repents. One sinner, just one sinner. Hey, that one sinner could be me. Could be you. Look at the joy that it puts off because God loves to find the lost. Now, the parable of the lost son next, or you have heard it called the prodigal son because he went to prodigal living. Basically, it's the same principle. We've just been given two simple examples, but now we're going to get an expanded version of this same principle here in Luke 15 and 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Okay, what's important to start off with, I want to go ahead and break it as we go. We begin with two sons. We have two sons. That way we get to be shown a contrast between two different kinds of people. Because the two sons in this story are going to do different things. 
And because one son is going to be lost, the other one is not going to run away. And so now that we have the context of the lost coin in mind, and that the Pharisees were lecturing Jesus, you hang out with sinners and you're just this, oh, you're doing these terrible things. That's our context. Now that we have that also with the coin, Jesus takes us deeper by personalizing the lesson towards a story about people. See, I can lose a coin, I can lose a handheld. It's not a person. Now he's given us a parable about people because now it's a lot more meaningful. It's personal. Love now comes into effect. I like my handheld radio, but I don't love it, okay? I got a silver coin, but I don't love the silver coin. People I love. Now the story just got a lot deeper for us here. And so one son asked his dad for his share of the estate. Now this is a very unusual thing to ask for. Because normally an estate or an inheritance is handed down either when the father dies or when he becomes unable to manage it. And so that's when it gets passed down. And so for the younger son to ask for his estate now, that was pretty rude. What nice. You don't do that. It's almost like, Dad, you're not dead. Could you just go ahead and give me what I have coming? What? But you notice the dad gave it to him anyway. Asking for it so soon was very disrespectful. It was not a loving expression to ask for it right now. It kind of implied, I wish you were dead. It's like, I don't really care about you. I just want the stuff. And so patiently, the father granted his son's demand, gave him his share of the inheritance. Now, this is a picture of God letting a sinner go his own way when they insist on it. You ever seen sinners run off and do what they want to do? And you think, why didn't God just go smack them over the head and, and, draw, and pull them back? He gave you free will. If you're going to leave, you're going to leave. Okay, now I can imagine the father probably had his feelings hurt a bit. Like, how, how could you say this to me? I'm still alive and well. But okay, I'm going to demonstrate. The father would demonstrate something much bigger to the son by going ahead and let him have it. You know, all of us have this foolish desire, all of us, to walk our own way, don't we? Independent of God. Well, I'm going to do things my own way. It's kind of the same thing. Luke 15 and 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Okay, so the younger son goes and becomes the party animal. Let's go live it up. Prodigal living, and he blew all of it. You could call that lost living. Our nation's full of it. I used to be full of it before God got a hold of me and turned me around. Lost living. And you know, when you're lost, all that you have is wasted. When you're lost, all that you have is wasted. You won't repent because you've got this death grip. I don't want to let it go. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You cannot possess the godly wisdom to utilize your resources and your possessions wisely in a way that glorifies God when you're lost and when you're living prodigal like this. It's well understood that this young man blew what he had on himself. And wouldn't you know it, right after he blows the whole thing, here comes a nice convenient famine. (laughs) All the stuff that money can buy just went away. Not only did you blow your money, but everything that you could buy, that's now gone too. You know, we Americans, we don't really understand what famine actually is, at least not in this era of our history. 
We've been very blessed here for many decades. Famine usually causes malnutrition, starvation, epidemics, and increased deaths because there's not much to eat. There's just not any health. And people are starving, they're sick, and there's no way to remedy the problem. And so this young man, he went from living it up, party time, indulging himself until he spent everything right up into a famine where there's nothing. He went from one extreme to the other. And desperate situations will cause you to make desperate decisions, doesn't it? Luke 15, 15, because he's about to do that. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. That's very important. Nobody gave him nothing. Remember the spider web over the trash can? You throw trash through there, nobody's going to go, oh, poor little spider, let me help you build your web back. They don't care. <laughs> They're just going to walk on. The spider had everything in that top of that trash can, and now it's, now it's done. But here in this, the, the sun, nobody gave him anything. Gone is the party life. And suddenly he finds himself that he has to sell himself into slavery. And that's another big point. Sin makes a slave out of you. He sold himself into slavery and working for a foreigner feeding pigs, swine. Now, we got to consider that feeding pigs was detestable to a Jew. That's like the absolute worst of the worst thing you could possibly do is to work with pigs because swine is an unclean animal. What has happened here to this young man is that his sin against his father which was driven by his own selfishness, has now ensnared him into slavery. That's what it does. Proverbs 29 and 6 says, By transgression, an evil man is snared. That's a trap. But the righteous sings and rejoices. That's good. He is trapped by his own sin. His own drive to have it his way is exactly what caught him in a trap. Let's be careful of that. Luke 15 and 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Friends, this is what you call a turning point. <laughs> this is what you call repentance. He's turning. He's changing his mind. He's changing the way he thinks about things. This is when he finally came to his senses and realizes that the slavery of sin is not fun anymore. You ever gotten to that point? I hope you have. But I know somebody somewhere hear me on the radio, you're still enjoying your sin. I pray that your sin life becomes not fun real quick. It's not fun anymore. The party life was a flash in the pan. But where it leaves you is in captivity, and that's not such a flash. That stays. It was, he's in a trap that stripped him down to nothing, and sin will do that to you. I know so many people who are at this point right here, right now. Life is no fun anymore. 
the party life they're trying to cling to is now the very thing that's tearing them down. It's time for you to come to a point of change, a turning point. That name is called repentance. And people, oh gosh, they just hate that word. But we read earlier that when one repents, that's party time in heaven. Which party do you want? The one down here or the one up there? (laughs) The one down here is very brief and it hurts. The one up there is eternal. Oh, so good. But this is the first step towards the son's restoration. But I want you to notice how this young man's attitude has changed. Look what he said in verse 18. In verse 18, he said, I have sinned against you. That's what he said. That's an admission. It's a confession. He realizes how wrong it was to just go up to dad and say, Get everything, give me everything now and take everything away and then go do his own thing with it. He now understands how valuable his father is, how loving his father is, and now he's starting to realize how wasteful he has been. But also, notice the difference in how at first the young son had a sense of entitlement. Give me my share. Oh, that's all over the place today. Give me, give me, give me. But now look at the change in his heart where he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. First he's entitled, now he's like, I'm not entitled to nothing. Prosperity pastors, that you're telling everybody they're entitled to everything, read this story. We're not entitled to anything, nothing. This is the statement. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. This is the statement of a humble person. If anyone out there is wondering why things might be hard like this, because you want to have the big time, the big party, why do I have to go through this big mess that I'm in? The purpose of that big mess is to get you into a low place like the son is in, like the younger son is in. It's to humble you. You can see that his trial, his trials have squeezed all the selfishness out of him. And this is a good thing because now he no longer demands anything in conceitedness, but now he realizes, I'm not worthy. That's a big turnaround. I'm not worthy. And I like how he proves his genuine turn by taking action on it. A lot of people will say, I'm not worthy. They'll put their hands up, I'm not worthy, and sing in church, I'm not worthy. As soon as they get out the door, they're going right back to trying to gather up all they can for themselves. But watch what the son does. He literally turns and he demonstrates it, a proof of it in his life. Luke 15 and 20. And he arose and came to his father. See, he's going back. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, for the father to see this guy coming from such a long way off, that means he had to be looking. (laughs) It's not like, oh, hey, there you are. No, to see him on the horizon. You ever look at something on the horizon? You got to strain to see it, don't you? I mean, you got to be trying to find something. That's what the father was doing. It meant that just because his son was lost, the father still loved him anyway, enough to be continually waiting for him to come back. He was constantly looking at the horizon, waiting for the great day when his son would return. I want you to take particular notice of the fact 
that the father did not run up to him and cut him down for the disrespect he gave him. And, and why did you do that? And what did he do? He ran back and he kissed him and he fell on his neck. He didn't run up and say, I, I, I told you so. I knew you wouldn't make it long without me. He didn't say that, did he? Friends, that is love. He's just glad that he came back. This parable that Jesus is giving us here shows us the Lord's perspective of what it's like for him when a sinner repents and returns. That's why Jesus said in verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is trying to show us that the love and joy that our Father God has for us when we repent of our sin. When somebody comes back, God is, wants to fall on your neck and kiss you, and he's like telling everybody, look, look who's here. <laughs> That's how God sees you. Luke 15 and 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Okay, now that's what the son rehearsed. Remember, he already said it. He's rehearsing. Here's what I'm going to say. But the father kind of just cuts into his little rehearsed speech because he's so excited. Look, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, (laughs) bring out the best road and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Again, did did you happen to catch that the father's so glad about his son's return that he didn't even let him finish his confession? (laughs) He starts trying to confess and he's like, let's party. Bring everything out. His father went straight into celebration mode because his son's return had already fully demonstrated the condition of his heart. He's just trying to vocalize it. The father's like, you're coming back, says it all. So while his son is still trying to confess, the father springs up in joy and he calls his servants to dress him up in the very best attire and the very best they can put on him. The reason the father's doing all this is because upon his son's return, The Father has already now unconditionally forgiven him and accepted him. Now, giving his son a robe, what that meant at the time, that was a sign of honor and acceptance back into, that he's back in, in the family again. Giving him a ring, putting a ring on his finger, was a sign of authority because of sonship. You're my son, And giving him sandals was a sign that he is no longer like a slave. He's family. You're in this family now. Here's shoes for you to, good shoes and sandals for you to walk in. And so they have a great feast for the returned son. And Jesus intentionally used this picture of a great feast because he had spoken of Father God's great banquet feast in the previous chapter. The chapter just before this one, he was talking about God's, Father God's great banquet feast in the coming kingdom. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland, located in Pearland, Texas. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast app to search for 
Set for Life with Ray Jensen. Or you can subscribe through our website at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. Go to setforliferadio.com and send me an email. I would love to hear from you. I want you to remember that you are not worthless, you are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life.